Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1, let's start from there. We had a fair bit of drama that was two weeks ago. Let me just quickly remind you of that. Sanballat and Tobiah were whispering things and teasing the Israelites who were building the wall um, in Nehemiah and, and the, you know, the, the, that age-old burn of even a fox would cause that wall to fall down if it climbed up. We've all heard that one before. Um, but uh, So they were teasing them, they were scoffing at them, they were mocking them, they were trying to dishearten them. And then um, they actually gather the Ashdodites, the Arabs and the Ammonites to come against them and to fight them. Um, and so Nehemiah uh, changes the conversation, but also changes what's in their line of sight. All they can see is the scoffers and the mockers and then the rumour of, uh, of a, an attack against them. So then he postcards and also gives everybody a weapon to carry. So all of a sudden their perspective is changed. They no longer see themselves as powerless. They see themselves as having defence. And he changes the conversation and he also reminds them and rallies them trust in the Lord their God. So we move on to the next threat of Nehemiah chapter 5. It says, About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. So this is the next threat. The last threat was external. This threat is internal. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. So essentially what's happening here is that the people are hungry. There's an internal threat. This is not um, dissimilar to the threat of the early church in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, where the Hellenistic Jews' widows were being overlooked in the distribution of the food. And just as action was needed then, action is needed here as well. And so decisive action is necessary. People are hungry, and we read on to see why. Verse 3 says, Others said, We have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. Now, we don't actually know when this famine was. Maybe it was right when they're talking right now or maybe it was prior and they've had to mortgage their fields and their families and their homes and now they're suffering the effects of that. For example, young people, if you get a car and you get a big car loan to get the car, you will love that car for the first little while. The wind is in your hair. You get to pull up to your friends feeling all Chill, I admit, I'm just guessing at words that are currently used right now. I would have said cool, but I know that's not the case anymore. But you pull up and you, you feel great, but it's when the car starts needing repairs and you've also still got to pay the loan or when you've now got to pay rent because you don't live at home anymore and you've got to pay the car loan or when the car is worth less than what you still owe on the loan, that's when trouble starts to happen. And, uh, and so for here... Um, Maybe they're feeling the effects of mortgaging them prior or maybe they're mortgaging them in the moment. But regardless, they're feeling the effects of that. But hunger is something altogether different from getting a car loan. When you're hungry, you just need to survive. Like all reason and logic flies out the window. The barefoot investor um, advice flies out the window because you just need to survive. You need to get through. Barefoot investor advice, by the way, young person wanting to get a car, is get the cheapest car that your ego will allow you, okay? But, um, but when you're hungry, you just need to survive. So after one scholar writes, you can't eat walls. That's just what they're saying to Nehemiah. Great, Nehemiah. We've built the wall. We're building the wall. That's great. And which stones would you like us to eat? So verse 4, and others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery 
just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already pitched to others. Now, I just want to give you the context of slavery amongst the Israelites. Um, is it good? No, it's horrific. Is it not as bad as what we think when we think slavery? Yes. It's not like Joseph and whose brothers sold him into slavery and carried him off to a far land. In the Israelite context of slavery, if you didn't have enough money, you were able to sell yourself or your family into slavery, but then you could redeem yourself. You could buy yourself out of that, or at some point they would need to um, allow you to go. And it wasn't like the kind of slavery that we think, like sexual slavery or anything like that. It was domestic servitude. Um, now, is it good? No, it's awful. Should they? Would it have been better for them to have welfare like we do? Yes, absolutely. But not having any of that, this was their method of actually surviving. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25 tells them outlines for such rules. And, and it's totally favourable to the Israelites. For example, it says if you're so poor and you have nothing left to live on and you sell yourself into slavery, by all means do that. But it's incumbent upon the person who buys you into slavery. They've got to treat you like one of the family. You don't have to do the actions of a slave. No, no, you're supposed to just be treated like a member of the household and, um, and, and they should provide for you like that and you should work for them. Uh, but, of course, they didn't do that, unfortunately. Um, they allowed themselves to be influenced by the practices of the nations around them. And, and the saying is here that they got sold into slavery, like they got exiled because they weren't doing what God said. Now they're back. By the providence of God, they've been able to come back and start rebuilding the wall, but they're still not doing what God has asked them to do. When will they learn? I would say, when will I learn? When I went just trusting God. Like it's pretty simple, but I keep needing to wake up to new mercies every day. So while I want to get really cranky at them for doing this, I then remember me. So verse six, when I heard their complaints, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their complaints, I started a social media campaign. I got a thousand likes on the first day. By that afternoon, I had 300 shares and 750 likes. After that, having done all I could and feeling great about the change I had made, I went back to doing things the way I had always done them and waited for the next cause I could really get behind. No, obviously that's not what it says. But Nehemiah has a bias toward action and that's not action. Just heads up. That's a, just a heads up. When you click on something to say, I like that, that's not actually action to make a change. Or just, 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 just FYI. Okay. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. I was very angry. Verse 7, after thinking it over. Nehemiah and his anger doesn't result in a knee-jerk reaction. It doesn't result in Nehemiah firing off emails to get things done. And, and it's got to be done right now. His anger is controlled and constructive. James says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I grew up in an angry household. And I can testify to you right now that that is God's honest truth. I don't know what's the difference between truth and God's honest truth. Truth is probably always truth. But, but it, it, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you get angry but you want to be productive, wait until emotions settle. Wait until you're calm. Don't do anything until you're no longer angry. And don't kid yourself by saying, I'm not angry. I'm not angry anymore. Ask your spouse or someone close to you if they, if they still think you're angry and then listen to them. The New English Bible says this, I mastered my feelings 
and reasoned with the nobles. So Nehemiah, because he doesn't want to just be head up and angry, but he wants to be constructive, he masters his feelings and then goes and reasons with nobles. Um, back to the New Living Translation and verse 7. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Now, I'm just going to read you from Leviticus chapter 25, verse 36 and 37. It says, Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. So this is talking about someone who's so poor that they've indented themselves into service. It says, Don't charge them interest or make a profit at their expense. But let them live with you as a relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lent him or make a profit on food you sell him. This is a big call. This is saying if a person of God, and this is talking specifically to a specific situation, let's remember, we don't just automatically superimpose everything of this onto our life, but it's saying back then, don't make a profit of anyone who is a believer in God. I just, if we're talking principle here, it's saying, let your, don't let your standard of living be what comes first. And um, I think about this, I, I think about this because I've had to learn it afresh many, many times in my life. Um, I've felt a call to history, but the church has never been able to afford to pay both Daz and I. And so I um, have had to, when I was young and, and a, a mum, and all my friends were young mums and not working either. It was easy, easy price to pay. But as people began to have double incomes and as people be able, were able to do different things and as people were be able to prepare for their retirement or whatever, I've had to learn this afresh again and again that actually what's most important is not my standard of income. Now, it's a ridiculous point for me to make. It's only when I get caught in comparison that I even think about it. Because I've had the miraculous provision of God in our life as a family again and again. We've had crazy ability to do things we should never be able to do. And it's only, it's only when I compare and I, or I think about my retirement versus one of my friend's retirements. And I think about what they're set up to do versus what I'm set up to do. It's only in comparison that I get caught. Um, so trust him is vital just like these Israelites. And I say this because I fail miserably, just like these Israelites. They wanted the blessing of God, but they also wanted to share in the standard of living that the nations around them had by charging their fellow Israelites' interest. So I fail miserably. They're failing miserably. We're all failing miserably. Praise God for Jesus. Okay, verse 8. It says, oh, what was my point there? I feel like I just left us not really with it. Okay, total trust in God is the point there. They have to, in order to implement this, have total trust in God. They would have to go, God, you know, I see that I could make a profit here, but I would rather do what you want me to do than what I want to do. Verse 8, at the meeting, I said to them, we're all doing, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? Nehemiah is saying, how are we going to repeat this cycle, people? How long are we going to allow ourselves to not hold ourselves as the people of God, but as something less than that? We're just going to keep going downward in a downward spiral unless we decide to draw a line in the sand. And they had nothing to say in their defense. Nothing to say. So switching gears for a moment, 
If your business dealings and if your financial dealings, no matter how small or big, were exposed and you're accused of extortion at worst or stinginess at best, would you have anything to say in your defence? They had nothing to say in their defence. But what does the way that you use your money say about you? Would you have anything in your defence? Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 9. Then I pressed further. <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted Nehemiah as your governor. I'm just saying. He, then I pressed further. What you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the ear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? Verse 10, catch this. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this. Let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. Nehemiah, let us stop. I myself, et you, Brutus? <laughs> That's Brutus, he killed Caesar and... So, yeah. Okay, maybe this is why Nehemiah was able to master his feelings. He's been doing the same thing as well. But he totally owns it. And, and I think that this is where, like, clearly Nehemiah has something to lose. He himself is going to be on the back foot by no longer charging interest. But he's like, I'll lead the way in this. Verse 12, they replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe. They were very visual like this back then. And said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. Not forgetting that that has already happened. So this would feel very real to them. The whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. Verse 14, for the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year, that's 12 years, to the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. He's allowed, he has an official food allowance. But knowing that that gets exacted from the population, he says, I won't do it. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assist took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. He put God above any material gain. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions paid for each day included... In I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Okay, Nehemiah. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Nehemiah's vision to rebuild the wall was so strong in him and to rebuild the people of Israel that he was willing to put his money where his mouth is and even fund the cost of it. Is your vision something for your life that you're willing to pay a cost for? Would you actually let your standard of living not be the same as everyone else's because of the passion of your vision? Because that's the kind of vision that we want. So, Bron, the idea obviously is Bron wanted to drill. Bron was to drill down, and I'm going to endeavour to help us be really practical. How do we, how do we um, live this? 
uh, or something from this tomorrow. So three ways to create a worthy legacy, whatever the season you're in. Um, the truth is we're always in a season, aren't we? You're in a season, I'm in a season, we're always in a season. And every season has its legacy. Um, I don't know if you even stop think about it, maybe because I've been to a few funerals lately. It's caused me to stop and think about the legacy of a life, obviously, um, but also the seasons of life and the power in that. Um, and so we're always in a season and every season has its legacy. In Nehemiah chapter 5, um, clearly there's a problem going on. They're in a season of rebuilding, a season of struggle. And we see that, you know, really what is a wicked and oppressive attitude. Um, I always think of Nath Robbo when I think about that idea and <laughs> a wicked attitude and quite the opposite. Someone was describing to me a Nathan that they'd met in church and... Uh, and as they described, I said, oh, that must be Nath Robbo. And it was a very good description. So quite the opposite. Just covering my bases there, Nath. Um, but they have an opportunity here to, to load people up. And they do. And then obviously, Neam shifts the situation and says, hey, you, you can load them up or you can liberate them. Uh, you have the power to do either. And in this season of life, they decide that what they're going to do is take the load off the people and liberate the people so that they're set up for the next season. And I, we know that feeling. I remember being in New Zealand um, uh, uh, for my nephew's wedding and Bron and I were there on borrowed money. And it just busted me. I was 40, uh, 43, 44 years old probably. At the time, I'm like, man, I've worked my butt off since I was young and God, I've given you my best. And to go and conduct my nephew's wedding. I've got to borrow money to do it. And, you know, some of that was our own fault, and I get that. And, but I was a bit busted. And anyway, I remember coming home from that, that trip, and I prayed. I remember where I was, and I prayed and said, God, I've got no long-term plan, a short-term debt, and I really would appreciate your help, though you owe me nothing. And I came home, and a couple of weeks later, uh, the debt got cancelled. Out of nowhere, just thousands of dollars. Um, about $10,000 actually, um, got cancelled overnight and, and a few other things happened. Uh, someone rang me, Dan Urquhart actually, rang me about a property he said he felt been looking at and felt prompted that he should ring me about it. And we thought, we'll never get the money for that. And, uh, but God was good and just in this immediate period and, and our situation was alleviated in a way that was helpful for our future to build. And that's what happens here. Their legacy shifted from loaded to liberated. So when, as we think of legacy, as we talk about this, I think of it this way. It's what remains and what can rise when my season is done. You're in a season. What's going to remain when the season is done? What, what can potentially rise when the season you're in is done? As followers of Jesus, as friends, as fathers, mothers, as sons and daughters, as employers, as employees, as influencers... We have a chance to build a genuine legacy in the season, or from the season that we're in into the lives of others. Imagine believers more interested in the legacy that remains from a season than what happened to them in a season. Imagine that. Imagine a church more interested in the impact and the legacy of the church than maybe its image in the short term. Imagine parents of children and disciples of Jesus more interested or maybe most interested in the spiritual legacy that remains and can rise from there. Sure, thankful. You know, I wish my mum had left me a financial legacy. I really do. But I'm, I can tell you I'm so grateful 
that the legacy she did leave was spiritual. We're always in a, in a season, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, um, verses 1 to 13 might come on the screen and it says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity in the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, to plant, time to uproot, a time to kill, time to, time to kill, it's interesting. Um, hope it's not you in my season, but anyway. <laughs> time to heal, a time to tear down, time to build up, time to weep, time to laugh, it's all good, a time to mourn and a time to dance, they're all parts of the seasons of life, a time to scatter stones and to gather them, a time to embrace time to refrain from embracing all the huggers and all the non-hugging work that out. Brumwin, there is a time not to embrace and I'm not sure whether that is for you. Maybe when there's nobody around. A time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, time to hate, time for war and a time for peace. And then it goes on and it says, you know, um, whatever it says because it didn't flip and I'm not sure what the next line says. There is a time for everything every there is a season for everything life has its natural season We're right in the middle of my favorite season autumn oh i love when summer goes and autumn comes only problem is it's hinting at winter but it's still the best season of the year seasons come and go and and they do naturally speaking don't they we have life has rich seasons and life has heavy and hard seasons um there's a season of our teens and all of the seasons within the season that is our teens and uh, of university, of learning a trade, of year 12, you know, of, of, of post-divorce and of newly married and every season conceivable um, for us, it's all there. And so what season are you in? Can you articulate it? I'd love if that you take notes that this season, uh, this week you'd have a think about the season you're actually in so that we can think about the legacy that might come from it. Um, and, and as you think about that season, it's great to understand the season we're in if we can, we can't always. It's great for how we navigate the season we're in and it's great for how we think about the kind of legacy we want to create. So create legacy, I've put here, create perspective within about the season we're in. You know, um, I spoke a little bit about um, the start of this year for me, but the reality is he, he, sometimes it needs perspective. When I think about the season I'm in, um, I've, I've experienced loss this year. I've had to deal with discouragement. I've had to deal with lots of disappointment. I've had with a tragedy that for me, the tragedy of people falling through the cracks, that, that busts me. It's always busted me. It still busts me when people fall through the cracks in their faith. And most of this year, like most of most years, all of my life, this year has had more to do than time to do it. It's, uh, it's had all those things. And yet, if I think about the season I'm in, I know that one day I'll look back on the season of now and go, man, I wish I could transport myself there. I wish I could go back there just for a moment. Those of you who have older kids, you will know that there's some days I want to just go back for a moment and hug the four-year-old, two-year-old and baby that were Isabella, Lachlan and Kate. I'd love to just transport there for an hour, maybe about 10.30 a.m. when they're not tired or grumpy or hungry, just for, just for a very short period of time and then get out, get out of there before anything shifts. But I know that the season I'm in, I know that the people I live life with, uh, I know my, my marriage, I know my kids, I know that the people I work with, I know that the church I'm amongst, the work that we're involved with, the opportunities that I get to do, that one day, really what I'll do is look back and go, that was a golden period. I know that standing here now. In the midst of all of the other things, I know that that's the season. So sometimes our season just needs perspective 
and then other times it needs to invite perspective in. Because I recognise that other people would say, Darren, uh, you need to think more deeply about the season. That's a little bit too positive when I think about how you are really. And so I need that as well. And I need people to, that are going to say, Darren, you know, Bronze said to me the other day, Darren, you really need to um, just allow yourself to, you know, work through what's going on. And I'm like, Brian, I'd, I've tried. I don't know how to. I'm like, I'm doing my best to make it real, but I feel good. And, but the reality is I need that perspective. And, and sometimes perspective that way other people seem to be perpetually in a difficult season and life is not all difficult seasons so sometimes we need perspective in from other directions as well what's the season you're in create perspective within invite perspective in um, um, sometimes our need is for others and the season we're in remember it's a momentary mist I forgot to bring the spray I was going to bring a spray bottle. I'll make sure I do it for the 10 a.m. service, which is the one that really matters. And they, but the spray, you know, and life is like that. You know, when you spray, I love spraying benches, as some of you know. My wife says all she needs to create a romantic moment is pine clean. And I love it. I love it. But it's gone in a moment. Spray, it's in the air. It's gone. The Bible says life is like that. And if life is like that, how much more the seasons of life are like that? They're just a mist. They come and they go so quickly. And so we want to do something with them. So what, what's the season you're in? I'd love if you would articulate that this week. And then my second thought that goes with it is, what will be the legacy of the season you're in? When you think about where you're at right now, what will be the legacy? Maybe it relates to your own character. Maybe it relates to... Um, you know, kids, maybe it relates to grandkids, maybe it relates to students, uh, you know, I'm sure thankful for Soph actually that in year 12 and 11 she's had such an influence on Belle you know, and you know, they're just complicated times of life but Bella will regularly come home and say how Soph is with her and the joy she is to her and the way she believes in her. And I think, you know what, that's a legacy. She's seeding legacy and that's just one student. And, and so in your life, what's going on right now and what will your, the legacy be of the season? When our kids were little, um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll read it to you. Brian and I, we, we wanted to do this. It was one of the things we wanted to see the legacy that we wanted to see was this. We, want, we would put it like this. For our kids to rebel against God, they have to rebel against all the good they've seen and known. And for our kids to live heart and soul for God, they wouldn't have to come what had been modelled for them. That's, that was kind of, at least in my brain uh, and bronze, but certainly in mine, that was like, I want to make sure that I set my kids up that way. I can't control the legacy. I can't determine it, but I can set it up. And I'm not sure what will remain and I'm not sure what will rise, but to the degree that it depends on me, what will be the legacy from the season, that's what I want it to be. And so that's meant certain things. It's meant that, you know, the kind of potential legacy for us meant that our kids would grow up in a positive, godly environment, that it was fun. Thank you, Bron. Um, loving home, loving, and they'd be exposed to, we have worked really hard to expose our children to good people, to godly people. Um, we have minimised the amount of uh, negative sick people they've seen um, and experienced. We make sure that great people have been, you know, in their vicinity at lunches, at dinners, all those kinds of things. We've shielded them from the other because life will bring that to them without any trouble. And, um, you know, we've tried to do that and put good influences around them. Uh, we, 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 we've shown them, we, they've shared in the sacrifices. You know, our kids have shared in the sacrifice that is our family. And as you know, I travel a bit and... 
And, and sometimes when I'm away, uh, churches are kind and they'll give me a gift. They call it a love offering. What a great way to put money. And, um, but they'll do that. You know, anytime that happens, and most of the time we don't take it, we tell them in advance we don't want it. But occasionally, especially a bigger church that knows us well, we'll do it anyway. And, um, but we always share it with our kids. So you sacrifice for me to be away for them. And we share in the sacrifice and we share in the blessing. And so they love me going away. <laughs> what about, what about what, what, what's it going to be? We would, we, we've immersed our kids in the local church. And I, I know there's lots of thoughts on that. I tell you, I wouldn't swap it for anything. I'm happy for my kids to have fallen asleep under pews. I'm happy for them to, you know, all those things. Obviously, we just decided that this is the way we're going to live. What about you? Every season has its legacy. What, what's the action in this season that's going to see the legacy of the future? So here are three things um, as we think about it. Number one, legacy thinks future. Whatever the season you're in, legacy anticipates what will remain and what can rise when the season is done. What is that for you? Legacy imagines future possibilities. Um, you know, this, you take this service. Uh, uh, in my brain, it, 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 it should be on a trajectory to somewhere. Now, not everything works. It may or may not work, but, but it started out as a ability in my mind. Not every possibility works, so we'll wait and see. But the reality is that we have to imagine future possibilities if we're going to see legacy. And so, you know, my son's here. In the next service, um, he will hide out the back during the service. I'm going to get everybody to stand and cheer. Going to get a drum roll. And uh, he's going to emerge onto the platform in his Bulldogs colours. <laughs> he's the fourth generation of Canterbury supporters. And when he was born and as he got old enough, the girls said, Dad, we'll go for Canterbury. What will you give us? I said, if it requires a trade, you're the wrong person. But lucky, you don't get a choice, son. You go for the Bulldogs. And so he's now the fourth generation. That is legacy that was seeded when he was little. You know, some of the boys up the back. Um, I saw Jackson Moore a little earlier. Jackson Moore went for Melbourne. But we just started talking from the pulpit. People say you shouldn't leverage the pulpit. I say you should. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to start now with the kids so that when they're older... We'll be able to, when the Bulldogs make, this is literally the plan, when the Bulldogs make the grand final, we'll have the best party. Unfortunately, they're so bad right now, they could all be 50. But, but it's about seeding legacy, doing something now with a future in mind. So can you articulate the future legacy you hope to create from the season you're in? Better still, can you articulate the future legacy that God would create from the season that we're in? What is that? Number two, legacy acts in faith. And isn't that the truth? It's just going to take some faith if we're going to create a legacy. Every young parent modelling Sunday Strong for their kids has to act in faith when they come in here a bit crazy. They have to act in faith when, you know, they're forced to take them to a parent's room. They have to act in faith that they're seeding something for the future. Every person speaking out the good and the gold like Soph does for, for Belle uh, it's still all right to fail her, by the way, Soph, just from our perspective. She gets what she deserves. But, 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 but every time, she's seeding legacy. She's seeding who Belle will become, what Belle will believe, how Belle will perceive herself to be. And obviously, Soph's aware of that. 
and but she's seeding legacy. It is for all of us, every Christian employee with a great work attitude and a great work ethic and a public faith is seeding legacy for somebody. It is. And every time a person opens the scriptures with someone, aren't you thankful for people who open the scriptures for you? And that, you know, the legacy that's seeded. Um, Bronnie was telling the story somewhere recently about her grandparents. One of the grandchildren heard the grandparents having a fight in the next room in the middle of the night, like yelling at the top of their voices. Bronnie's grandparents, who were at that stage in their 80s, and then they went to check on things. Is that still the right story? Oh, I confused the facts. No, the facts are right. That's rare. Just for the ring. And um, when they went in, they realised they were praying without the ear hearing aids in. <laughs> and that's what they did every day, every day for their kids. Every day for their grandkids, you know, their family is, it's a pretty amazing family actually, not without its um, imperfections for sure, but they just needed legacy um, in, in the season they're in when they were in their late 80s and him in his early 90s, not a whole lot they could do. Not a whole lot they could do, but every day they prayed, every night they prayed, in the middle of the night they prayed for their children, for their grandchildren, for Bron, for me, for our kids, thank God for them. And so, you know, we're always there, that's it. And then number three is just it, it, legacy influences. And, and its best opportunity is right here and it's right now. It builds daily, it builds today, it builds with what we're doing in the here and now and moving forward. So right here, right now, it's creating legacy that remains in Jesus' name. Amen. And I will leave you with that thought. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.